Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. We are going to hear from heaven. Our lives are going to shift again. We're going to leave here more like you. All because of what you accomplish. It's time of worship. It's time of study. We give you all the honor for your work in each of us. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say, Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. This narrative really lasts about uh, two or three chapters, so it's a little tough to condense it all into our time together today, but I think you'll be able to capture most of what is taught in Scripture here, but if you need to, you can go home and read from uh, chapter 25 through chapter 27 of Acts, and uh, perhaps you'll see more than even we will share today, beginning with verse 23. So the next day, when Agrippa, Agrippa here is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who murdered all the babies in Bethlehem. He was also son of Herod the First, or Herod Grippa the First, who killed James the Apostle in the early chapters of Acts. On top of that, he was nephew of Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist. So this Agrippa we're about to read about was very familiar with all of the major events in the gospel. And it says when young Agrippa and Bernice, Bernice was actually his sister, and it was a rumored actually that these two were involved, say yuck twice, yuck, yuck. But here's the deal. If we don't watch the direction of our country, this may become a legal option for our grandchildren. Listen, guys, there's nothing new under the sun. And when we start redefining things, there are implications and ramifications along the way. And they had come with great pomp. Agrippa wore his magnificent royal robes. He had his beautiful 32-year-old sister on his arm. Her hair was did. She flossed the finest jewels. And it was all quite impressive. And he had entered the auditorium with the commanders. And these commanders were probably the, 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 the commanders of the five royal uh, regiments uh, that, that were stationed in Caesarea. And also alongside him were the prominent men of the city, the whole region, and the, 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 the finest and the who's who, if you will, dressed in their Sunday best. Soldiers were standing in their regalia. They had polished armor with shiny plumes on their helmets, red capes behind them, shiny swords at their sides. Then entered this nondescript rabbi named Paul. Skip to verse 1 of chapter 26. Then Agrippa addressed Paul. And he said, you are permitted to speak 
for yourself. Now, Paul was standing before a very tough audience, but we have to be willing to speak for God, even if our voices shake. So Paul stretched out his hands, chains on his arms, but he gestures like a man in charge. Fully animated, unintimidated, he took control of the room. But here's the deal. When you spend time daily with the king of kings, earthly kings began to lose their shimmer and their shine. And they just look ordinary compared to the person you've been spending all your time with. So Paul was ready for this moment. And it says, and he answered for himself. All that's needed for evil to prosper is for good men and women to remain silent. And watch what he said. I think myself happy. How many of you in a situation like this could think yourself happy? Now, we didn't read the whole context here, but the setting was people had just tried to kill Paul. They were trying to ruin his reputation. And actually, he he was saved and, and spared from murder, and they dragged him to a public tribunal. And most of us in this moment, we would have thought ourselves into anxiety, apprehension, depression. But not Paul. He lived this thing, this faith that he believed. The Bible said he thought himself happy. And this is what I've learned that i got to do. When trouble comes and stuff starts going sideways, things aren't lining up as they ought. If I keep my mind stayed on him, he'll keep me in perfect peace. I can think myself happy. In the midst of folk trying to kill me, trying to ruin me, trying to harm me, somebody beating on me. He thought himself happy. He said this, I think myself happy. He could have done a happy dance in the midst of all the pomp and circumstance. Paul had God on his mind and the Holy Spirit filled his heart. He said, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. Here stood a man with a clear conscience and a merry heart, a powerful combination. Then he said, especially Agrippa, because you are expert, you have Expert knowledge. I mean, your family has told you, you, you've been present, you've watched all these events. So I said, because you're an expert in all the customs and questions, which has to, which has to do with, with, with the Jews. I want you to notice something. Paul here has a very affirming tone. Now, he could have very easily been angry because what was happening to him was not fair. He could have very easily uh, become very, very defensive. Not only because of his circumstance, but also because he was standing before King. The Herods, Agrippa's family, was involved in every painful incident in church history up to that time. Whether it was the crucifixion of Jesus, the killing of James, the killing of of, of the babies in Bethlehem, Herod's family had a part in it all. Notice the tone of Paul. He actually affirms him and celebrates him. 
And just because someone's wrong, you know the way you, you, you make an enemy a friend? Typically by being kind. The Bible says we overcome evil with good. He continues. He says, therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Now, he's facing great personal risk and opposition. But Paul was big enough to realize that this situation was really not about him. It was about an opportunity for him to share the gospel at the highest level. And if you would rightly face the pain that is set up in your life, God will increase your platform. And this is what happened with Paul. He said, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know about me. Paul's life had become an open book and Generally, the more responsibility you have in the kingdom, the less privacy you have. And this was, everybody knew about Paul, and everybody knew Paul's story. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify. Now, now they want to pretend that these things aren't so, but let me tell you, because they're not going to tell you. That according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul here takes time to remind everybody where he came from. Now, we read about Paul, we celebrate Paul, but Paul did not start out the great man he became. He, like you and I, was an absolute verifiable sinner from the start. Verse 9, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary Can anybody say contrary? This was a contrary, though he was living according to the standards of the law. He used the law to injure God's people. According to Scripture, you can do everything right, but still not be doing the right thing. Everything good is not God. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the fruit was good. The Bible said it was good to look at, good to the taste, good for food. See, you think sin is always doing something bad. Sin is sometimes doing good, but it's not God. We could camp here, but I'll mess up the whole sermon. But I want you to leave here and think about it. Sometimes the issue... You think, well, I'm doing everything right, God. What's your problem? Sometimes what you're not doing. You could be doing the right thing, but it's not the right thing for you. You could be a Sunday school teacher, but God called you to be a Sunday church preacher. You may be doing a good thing, but it's not the right thing for you. Before I met my wife, there were a lot of good women for me. But I got frustrated because when I kneeled down and prayed, God was like, that's not the right woman for you. And many of us have settled for good and we missed right. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. Indeed, I... Myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus 
of Nazareth. You see, some people come to God asking God for forgiveness by the spoonful. Not me. I needed forgiveness by the truckload. When I came to the altar to give my life to Jesus Christ, here's the sound that the angels heard. They'll get that next service. He said, this I also did in Jerusalem. See, you and I, we came with a truckload. But Paul came to Jesus with a train full. I want you to listen to his story. This I did in Jerusalem and many of the saints, I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. How many of us have unjustly taken men and women from their families, had them waste years of their life rotting away in prison? Then he continues about the life he lived. And when they were put to death. How many of you made children or husbands widows or wives widows? How many you, you turned children into orphans? Few of us could compete, at least knowingly, with the depths of Paul's sins. Then it continues. I cast my vote against them. You see, what made it worse is he did all this under the mask of religion. He did all of this quoting scripture. Paul was not just a bad man. He was the worst kind of man. It's one thing to be bad and know it. It's another thing to be wicked and pretend that everything's all right. And he was a horrible man, but he had on a mask of righteousness. And this is how he lived his life. Verse 11. It says, and I punished them often in every synagogue, meaning he often beat people. He put people out of the synagogue so they could no longer buy and sell, and they would become impoverished and rejected by their own people and sometimes their own families. And I compelled them to blaspheme. Now, you thought you did some things in your life. But Paul manipulated people, and he made them actually renounce their faith under the threat of violence. Then it says, and becoming exceedingly enraged against them. The original Greek here actually speaks of a frenzy. The picture here is like a shark. You know when a shark, when when he bites his prey, his eyes roll back, and he just goes into a bloodthirst? And he, the, the shark just goes wild. And this is what was happening. This was the type of man he was. He had on the cloak of righteousness. But, but, but underneath it all was a wild, frenzied, hateful man. He said, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. His hatred for the people of God had no bounds. But as passionately as he once opposed the faith, now he is living his life to spread this same faith. Imagine what would happen if we ran for God half as hard as we once ran for the devil. Imagine what would happen if we, like Paul, went that hard for God. 
He said, while thus occupied, it was a fancy way of saying while I was doing my thing, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest, he was acting as the representative of the Sanhedrin here. These were the same scholars who murdered Jesus, and he was in Kuds. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. Now, when a light shines bright enough for you to be able to see it in the bright desert sun, you are talking about a light that's phenomenal. Now, we see flashlights in the night because it's dark. But you turn a flashlight on in the day, no one sees. Imagine the brightness of this light that appears to Paul. He said, it was brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. The God we serve does not just have some light. He is the light. And once you really experience the light of the world, you can no longer live in shadows anymore. And this was the experience of the apostle Paul. And when we all had fallen to the ground, do not think it strange when people fall to the ground in the presence of our God. I mean, when we experience the highest majesty in all uh, of the universe, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that we can't help but fall before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he said, while I was down there, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, you know, we serve a God that speaks in a language we understand. He's not confined to speaking in King James. I don't think God speaks like King James. God knows how to make it real plain. And whatever language you need to hear him in, he will speak to you if you listen. And he says, Saul, Saul, why? That's what God says to some of us. Andrew, Andrew, why? You know better. Deep down, you know you're fighting against truth. Your conscience is speaking to you. All of nature is speaking to you. You've heard the stories. You, you heard about the... Why? He says, Saul, Saul. He engages him. He doesn't condemn him, but he poses a question. Why are you persecuting me? See, some folks think they're attacking the church, but what they're really attacking is God. And then he continues, and he gets right in Paul's Kool-Aid, if you will. He says, Saul, I've been watching you. And he makes an observation. He says, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was the modern equivalent or is the modern equivalent of a cattle prod. It was a long stick, and you see it on the screen there, used to poke the ox so it would keep moving. Here's the deal. An ox was not just goaded because it was going in the wrong direction. It was often goaded because it was going too slow. 
And some of us, God is goading us not because we're not on the right path, but we are not really moving forward fast enough or at the pace. He has summoned us and called us. So he keeps poking us and life keeps pricking us. You're not yet where you need to be. You're on the path though. Paul was in the scriptures. Paul had approximated the Christian faith. He was a student of Judaism. So he was in the neighborhood, but he wasn't moving fast enough to his place of destiny. And many of you are in the neighborhood, but you're moving too slow to the place of destiny. And God has to poke you and prod you. Stuff keeps happening to you to let you know you're not there yet. You're moving too slow, not because he doesn't love you. But even though you're in your sin, he is wooing you forward. He said, it is hard for you. Do you want to know why it's hard for you? Because you don't realize that you're going to break long before God does. Remember that gold we looked at? Imagine if you get mad at that gold. And you, you decide, I'm going to punch that gold. Or I'm going to kick against that gold. You would hurt your fist far more than the gold. When you fight against God, you hurt yourself far more than you could harm God. God will continue to be God whether you say yes or you say no. You are coming. And if you're coming sooner or later, you might as well come sooner. Why? So I said, finally, he thought he knew God. That was his problem. And many of us think we know everything that needs to be known about God. Because we were raised in this way. We heard this from some preacher, some church. We read it in some book. And he had read the Bible. He had the greatest rabbi's training, but he's finally to the place where he asked the right question. Instead of telling the world all that he knows, and he didn't know nothing yet, he finally said, who are you? You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.